Hi, Daniel here. This week's episode of The Ripple is sponsored by Deps, a private Maven repository service that I run. I created Deps because I couldn't find anyone that made a cloud-hosted Maven repository at a reasonable price. If you enjoy this podcast, consider supporting me by signing up for a trial at deps.co. Hello, welcome to The Ripple, a podcast diving into closure programs and libraries. This week, I'm talking about large-scale closure with David Taylor. Welcome to the show, David. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So you came to my attention quite a few months ago now when you were hiring closure developers, which is not that notable. You know, there's quite a few people hiring closure developers. But the other part that was notable was the company that you were hiring them for. Uh, you were hiring for closure developers at Apple, which is, you yeah, know, Apple's a big company. It's very cool to see closure being used there. And so I've sort of been curious to hear more about closure at Apple, and uh, you know, today I've got you on to talk a, a little bit about that. Uh, I know there's probably some things that you can't talk about, but interested to hear about what we can. We became pretty vocal, and full context. The one of the reasons why we're even having this conversation is I just recently left Apple. You know, and you know, Apple has a lot of reasons for being private about what they do, and I think a lot of them, given full context, are good reasons. But we as a team decided about three years ago that we wanted to move in the direction of functional programming specifically, and we really liked Clojure. And so our team wasn't a product public-facing application. And so we had a little bit of leeway with how we maneuvered and you know what stacks we chose. And um, we became kind of a lot more vocal about who we are developing and uh, our, and who we're hiring. And part of that was because we, through kind of our networks, were able to engage the closure community directly as opposed to go through like a HR rep. There was a little bit of frustration there with uh, us wanting to get the right people and then make people comfortable during the hiring process. So we just started to engage personally, like a lot of the people I talked to. I don't think they realized, but I was the person that would be hiring them. <laughs> <laughs> that was a little bit different where, you know, we'd have conversations. And when you talk to like a Google or Facebook, you usually have a conversation with the person who doesn't even really know anything going on at that team. They don't know who the people are. They kind of just have a giant pipeline. That Sometimes they don't even know what job they're hiring you for. Absolutely. It's kind of like this unpersonal it's this horrible process. It's this machine, you know, like a meat grinder where they're just getting volume and pushing you through. <laughs> and, and we didn't like that at all. Uh, we didn't like being a part of that. Um, so we literally just started, I, I was like DMing people directly like, Hey, <laughs> you want to come work with us? And, uh, <laughs> caused a little bit of waves, but I, I think, I think it was the right thing to do. And I think in the closure community, you have a type of person who probably appreciates that a little more. Like we respected a lot, the people who we talked to. And even if it didn't work out for one reason or the other, there was no amount of lack of respect for them from our perspective, which I think I look back at as a success and something I'm carrying on in my new projects. I think one of the questions though, everyone wants to know is what are we using closure for? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so that that's hard to answer throughout the whole company because there's actually a lot of 
like small teams that do develop closure as you know they have little applications running and so i would say mostly it's going to be something infrastructure related or ancillary to a core product but in our case and i can't answer this indefinitely because the company is so big that it's hard to know exactly who's doing what but i think that we were probably the only dedicated closure team where we tried to have all of our products be Closure or closure script. We we had some Haskell and some Erlang products just because we liked learning. But we really tried to teach and develop and I don't know uh, ingrain kind of a closure mindset in our development workflow. So to the million dollar question, what we worked on is we worked on a lot of infrastructure visibility tools, so telemetry into how things are running in the networks. So we did a lot of like visibility into what's going on. And I'm being very general and I, I like to keep it that way, but you can imagine it's a big world and there's a lot of stuff going on for a company like this. And so there's a lot of processing and a lot of real time information that we have to use closure to update and to give visibility into nothing product related, but just kind of the state of how things are in the network. Yeah, I won't get you to confirm or deny these, but I've seen job listings at Apple for, it looks like some sort of build system stuff, iTunes, Maps, machine learning. Yep. Uh, so I'm not sure exactly how much or how little closure you know, was in those roles, but uh it does sound like there's a, a range of places that it's gone to. Yeah, and I would recommend to anybody interested in closure and the company is to even if you're not looking right away for a position is to just kind of make contacts, uh, maybe apply and get to know some of the people. One thing the company does, I think better than most is the people who interview you are the people who you will be working with. And so even if you go in and it's not a good fit, and that could mean a lot of things, the good fit could mean we messed up, you know, and the good fit could mean, okay, we thought we were ready, but we're not. But just reach out and uh, get in each other's Rolodex because as the company evolves and as the teams evolve, they would want to have uh, that relationship. And just having that conversation may be beneficial in the future. Yeah. And so you talked a little bit about, you know, you've been doing sort of functional stuff at Apple in your team. Uh, but how did you kind of come to choose Clojure? You know, there was Erlang and Haskell in the mix there as well. Uh, so what was the thought process? I want to pretend like there was some sophisticated approach other than my lead at the time was just very almost stubborn about it. <laughs> and <laughs> so we all read this book, Closure for the Brave and True, which we're familiar with. And uh, I've become friends with the author yeah. uh, recently. Great book. But, um, it was kind of uh, an introduction into you know just the basics of the language. And so right away, I kind of liked it. We did a few kata times or mob programmings where we, as a team, got together and just experimented with different like tool chains. And Can you just explain mob programming for people who haven't heard that term? Right. So mob programming is something I will do for the rest of my career. So essentially, you get your whole team. So right now I'm remote. So getting my whole team in a room doesn't exist, but we all get on a Zoom. But you all get together in a format where you can communicate in real time. And you set a timer for 20 minutes 
And every 20 minutes, a different person drives. So meaning the different person is in control of programming whatever application you're programming. And in our case, if it was like a learning event, we would really be doing event to code exercises, which is pretty popular right now too. I don't know if you're doing those at the moment. I've started a little bit, but yeah, <laughs> not yeah. a lot of time. They're fun. I, I recommend them yeah. to everybody. They're they're great. Not to get too far off on a tangent, but if you're looking to like test a technology, they're really great because you've eliminated all the variables like product definition or deliverable or you know what you're doing, and you focus it down to how to do it. And so they're a good opportunity to like learn a new technology because all the other variables are set, you know. And so you can evaluate them really well. But we we sat down and started to work with them. And I really just kind of fell in love with the, I can't even explain it. It is kind of like, you know, a surprise factor where stuff just works how you think it should. Like you kind of guess with closure, like, you know what? This seems like this should work. <laughs> and then it does. And you're like, what the hell? Like, that's amazing. I don't know if it's, you know, uh, just a lot of stuff is very intuitive. And then as we started to use it, the fact that we could get four-year-old libraries to still work, you know, and it's very stable. And in our case, it was, we had a, a lot of Java. We were able to replace a lot with a lot less code and um, a lot less complexity. And it was just as fast, if not faster, and able to compute as much in real time as we did before. And so that's really how we decided to use it. But it was on recommendation from a lead of mine. And he was recommended by someone who I think is not prominent in the community, but uh, active contributor. And I won't say their name because now they actually um, work at the company. So I don't want to ruin an opportunity for them. So, but yeah. Nice. And so doing the kind of work that you're doing sounds like involves you know, many computers yes. dealing with large amounts of data. So what kinds of limits of closure or, I mean, the JVM, that sort of interaction, how does that kind of work working with, you know, very large scale systems with closure? Uh, yeah, we're very lucky. Uh, the, the, the company has, uh, there's a lot of benefits to working at the company. You have kind of world-class infrastructure. So I would say the limits on our part were through our design or, you know, the way we've architected solutions. Like at one point we had a huge commitment to an Oracle database. And I think that became, a, that was looking back, probably a mistake <laughs> because we were able to do so much more through our language, but uh, we were really tied down to a certain architecture. However, a lot of like, kind of the problems that you would see at another company we didn't really have because compute resources were really av readily available if if we started to hit like cpu spikes we just add more to the cluster you know mm -hmm. and I, that probably sounds bad but uh it's true you know if if uh, there's times where you look at should i optimize something and then you evaluate the time it would take to do it and you look at costs and in our case we always indexed on people's time so rarely would we ever profile something that we could just program in a more distributed way and decide to spend a lot of time on optimizing it instead of just throwing more resources at it. Right. But that doesn't mean it was naive. Like I think closure makes it fairly easy 
if you're writing sort of, you know, if you've got an understanding of the language, you can write stuff to be pretty efficient the first time, I find. Absolutely. One thing I, I like about the language, which I'm not using the language in my new role yet. And so I do have this like weird contrast right now or juxtaposition between how things work. Right now we're working on Rust, which I think is a fantastic language, but completely different from an ethos standpoint. But one thing I liked about Clojure, it was really hard to do something wrong or bad. You know, if, if you want to make a mistake, you almost have to write really ugly code to do it. And uh, it's very noticeable. Like you can almost tell like, oh, this just feels wrong. <laughs> and I don't know how they did it. Uh, but Cognitech, they've really thought a lot about, and I think there's some argument going on right now too, which you're probably aware of. I, I haven't caught up, but about changes in, in the language. But I, I really appreciate how pensive they are and how they approach making breaking changes, you know, because when you're dealing with a lot or huge volumes, it's really nice how simple it is and how doing something, I would say the wrong way, not hard to do, but it's obviously incompatible or incorrect or the, the not the right way that you should do it when you're programming the language. Yeah, I, I took over maintaining a couple of libraries recently and one of them was on Clojure 1.5 or 1.6. You're a pretty old version of Clojure now. And I thought, oh, let's just update it to the, the 1.10 alphas just to see how it runs and it ran fine. Yeah. It was nothing to change. It just worked, uh, which is really nice. Yeah. What other language does that? I mean, it's awesome. And, and I, I see both points of view. If you're frustrated, maybe I don't really know what the conversation is to be honest, but I guess I could see if you want to see rapid change a lot, then maybe that comes across as a frustration point. But if you're supporting like, intensive, important applications, like that's your gold, you know, that's your bread and butter is just, can I trust this system for a long time? And when we do make changes that will break my APIs, are they for good reason? And you think about different languages, like maybe ones with type systems who have different problems and for good reason. I, I like Haskell is a great language and Rust is a great language, uh, depending on you know, what you're indexing for, but that's almost impossible to do. I've just been working with parser combinators in Rust and even the blogs I'm reading from like six months ago, they're completely different. And so I'm trying to learn how to use these parser combinators and all the, all the blogs on how to use them are wrong, you know, just because they've changed that fast. Right. Yeah. That's, that's definitely, <laughs> we won't even get into JavaScript, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so, so Apple, at least when you, when you left, you were a team leader or what, I'm not sure what the term is there. So I was a senior manager, so I managed a few teams actually. And, um, you know, maybe we could get into the frustration too of being an engineer who's interested in technical work and then also having to lead a team. But yeah, I led a few teams and, uh, each team really developed a different kind of service. We moved around a lot in between teams and our, uh, because we used and focused on fu both functional programming languages and closure, it was easy to kind of, when one team was developing something and there was either a bottleneck or things were slowing down, you could take that whole team and jump on to another team hmm. and jump into their development environment really quickly. You can't really do that with other languages. Well, you can, but it's harder. And there's a lot of context that's stripped out of closure 
because the interfaces are familiar. You know, there's a few data types that you use or data structures that you use for everything where you go and you move into a type system. You really have to learn like a lot of this like context of the library and why they do what before you can even make an impact. Yeah, it's very true. And so I guess what kind of stuff did you learn at Apple about management or communication, that sort of stuff? So I learned a lot. I, I would say that's where I got my my wings per se as far as leadership and uh, management. The company, it gives a lot of autonomy to its teams and to its people, which is a good and bad thing, meaning it's good when you have a strong team and then it can be something you can shoot yourself in the foot with if you don't. So I really learned a lot of personal responsibility and uh, how to like define a plan and execute upon it, which is not something that I think comes naturally uh, when you jump into tech. You know, a lot of the times you jump into an existing vision and you're just trying to implement an idea uh, where if you're more in the leadership space, you're trying to identify a problem, define a solution, and then create a path or a vision f- to solve that problem and to execute on that. And it's at Apple, that's something you really do every day. Uh, it, it is a fantastic company. There are a lot of great people there and uh, you have a lot of opportunity to kind of just work with the best resources, with the best people, and you get a lot of room to make an impact. And so there I learned, you know, how to do that. And one that that's the intention, <laughs> you know, uh, so I was at Boeing before that. And uh, I would say Boeing was a little more hierarchical in that there was somebody dictating, you know, what was meant to happen for you. Where at Apple, it was a little more autonomous saying, these are our problems. How are we going to approach them? So it it was great. It's a great opportunity to learn those things. And so uh, it sounded like a big component of your role, especially was hiring people. How did you find uh, hiring closure developers? Is that difficult, hard? I'd say... Hiring closure developers is great. <laughs> so it's, I don't want to say difficult or hard. It's a lot better in my experience to hire closure developers. And I'm going to see if I can articulate this correctly, or at least from my experience. So with closure, there's a lot of self-selection, meaning there's a lot of people who are just passionate about the language for one reason or the other. Like it's not necessarily one of those like blue chip languages like Java or C++ or or JavaScript where they're just, they have broad applicability where, you know, you become a C++ developer and I'm probably mischaracterizing a lot of things inappropriately. So I apologize if I am for all you professional C++ developers out there, but (laughs) so maybe I'll take my experience. So when I first decided what I wanted to learn, I chose Java just because there's a lot of companies hiring Java. And that was the reason, you know? So that tells you a few things about myself is it's not necessarily me learning Java wasn't because I was passionate about it. It was because I wanted a job, you know, and not just a specific job, but I wanted any job and there's nothing wrong with that. However, usually when I talk to someone who is really interested in closure, it's something that they've decided to become interested in because they just like it, you know? And so you've already like, 
indexed on some passion at the moment <laughs> where people have said, you know, I'm going to spend time on this because I'm interested in it and because I like it. And as someone who's hiring people, that's a fantastic characteristic to have in a person is to have someone who genuinely likes what they're doing and follows their interests and passions. Um, mainly just because they're probably going to be a fun and interesting person to work with, you know? And so with closure, you get a lot of like, I would say professionalism, but also a lot of like uh, maturity in the development space. So you've, when you say, I want to hire closure developers, you've narrowed by a huge factor, your hiring pool, but each person that you can engage with is probably way more likely to be someone you want to work with. And that will make your team stronger than if you use something that was more broadly applicable. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that, that makes sense. And were you like the team you were hiring for, were they able to hire newish closure developers as well? People who were, I guess, interested in closure had maybe had some experience, but weren't, hadn't had a job in it or were these more experienced developers you're after? In the early days we were able to, but I'd say the correct answer is probably no. So when we actively looked for closure developers, we'd always approached it as someone with experience. However, we did have two or three who were relatively new, but I think we looked at that as more training them in the language, not necessarily them having existing skills. Right. And so that might be the reason why is... In general, if someone knows Clojure, they probably have some existing experience in a different language. And this isn't broadly true, but maybe that just is how it ended up being. And then when we hired new engineers, we usually approached it as, okay, they would do an interview in a different language, but we liked working with them and we're teaching them Clojure. Right. I see. We've kind of touched on this a little bit already, but you, know, you came up through an engineering background. You clearly enjoy software engineering, you know, learning Rust now, you're kind of into technology, but at the same time you were leading multiple teams of people. So you probably, you know, weren't able to program all day, every day, I assume. So how, how did you find that experience, the transition between those two roles? It can be very frustrating, to be honest. As you become an engineer, you spend a lot of time learning hard things and becoming better at them. And uh, you get to a point where you feel comfortable doing harder things. And then when you choose to move in a leadership path, and it is in many ways my fault because you do have the choice, at least at Apple, to stay on a technical route or move in leadership. And I can't really say one is better or worse. They seem to appreciate and respect both paths equally, but you do choose to value the way that you can do work that enables the team over the way that you can do work that enables yourself. So the last year um, when we became more active, <laughs> like on Twitter or in the public, I spent most that year not even developing. And so this last year, I probably only spent 20% of my time contributing uh, writing code. And it's a very interesting kind of place to be because you're happy that you are, you have the opportunity to be the kind of leader that you wish other people would have been when you were a developer, meaning just make things clear. Like 
weirdly, one of my goals every day is to just self-reflect and ask myself, is everything clear <laughs> for the people who <laughs> I'm working with? And it's weird how that's a, actually a big question. You know, if, if every leader just said, is it easy to understand what I'm asking people to do? You know, we'd be in a better place, but it's actually really hard to make things clear, you know, and it takes a lot of time. And so you find yourself making pitch decks or writing documentation or maybe writing down some process or some guidelines or stuff that makes it clear for 50 people instead of committing code yourself. And so you, there's this constant battle internally where you have, where at least I did, where I felt like, oh man, I'm, I'm losing my skill set, something that made me valuable. But at the same time, I'm doing the thing that I think is right as a leader for my team. And, uh, it is a hard thing to deal with and it's hard to know what's the right thing to do. You know, no one tells you that there's a proper ratio and you can find yourself spending a majority of your time, not committing code, but being valuable as a leader. So. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard that, that balance talked about a lot and yeah, it's definitely, definitely sounds tricky. And it's like emotionally frustrating too, you know? Because as an engineer, you put a lot of value in like, what am I able to deliver? And I think that's not always the best metric to judge yourself by as a leader. Right. Yeah, that makes sense. So what was kind of the path you took uh, before you were at Apple? You mentioned Boeing. What were you doing there? And kind of what was the what was that journey into, into Apple like? So I would say I have a very strange background. Uh, and I one thing that is somewhat interesting with if you listen to kind of like the Cognitech podcast, a lot of the people who are interested in closure do have strange backgrounds. Like their <laughs> degrees are often in like philosophy or <laughs> something obscure and not in a bad way, but they their eclectic interests have brought them to programming and closure. And mine maybe isn't as cool sounding, but I was, let's see, 21 and I was uh doing a degree in computer science. And then my dad got sick and I dropped out of college. Uh, so I dropped out of college from 21 to like 27 and I ran a construction company, <laughs> which is wow. not your typical background at all. But I did that until my family, so my younger brother and sisters, until they left the house. And then my dad and my parents were able to through, you know, disability and stuff, support themselves in a smaller form. And so I decided to go back to school then. And so I think one thing that is at least interesting is that I didn't write a single line of code until I was 27, uh, which, you know, in, in Silicon Valley, you have a lot of people writing code at 13 and 14. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I, at the time, just decided I want to go back to school and I knocked on some startup's door and I said, I think I kind of lied. You know, I said, hey, I can code. <laughs> and they let me and I started doing like some web development. And as I progressed through school, um, I ended up working at Boeing. So Boeing's in Mesa there. And uh, as I worked there, they put me in a program, which kind of uh, it was like some leadership development program where I went around all throughout the company and I worked in different areas. And my focus was always security, so writing secure software. So I wrote software, so we essentially did PKI for airplanes. So anytime your airplane lands, it downloads a lot of data from the plane. 
And so negotiating that communication was something that we did. And then also there are specific types of software that can run on airplanes. So we focused on the authentication medium there. I did some drone kind of navigation systems, and then I did some uh, data prognostics coming off the plane. So, you know, if there's a issue with the coffee machine on a plane before it lands, you can have someone who has a new coffee machine on the plane. So it's a lot of real-time data, but there was always a focus of security. And uh, that kind of led into my natural progression to moving into networks and secure networks and telemetry into the state of things. So after Boeing, I wanted to work for Google <laughs> and uh, I was up in Seattle. And so I had a buddy at Google and I said, uh, you know, I want to work there. And he was recommending me and I had an interview and he said, Hey, if you go get an offer from Apple, like you'll be more competitive and maybe they'll offer you <laughs> a better offer, you know? So I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> so I was in there, Seattle. I was happy. We'd moved from Arizona to Seattle. So it was nice to be in a green place, you know? And uh, I just decided oh, I'm going to interview at Google or Apple just so that I can be more competitive at Google. And so I did. And I don't know, like I hate interviewing. I think it's a horrible process that we've, committed ourselves to as a software engineering uh, company or cohort. But I just like did really well at the Apple interview. I remember thinking they asked me every question I knew, you know, then that's never, I've been rejected from hundreds of interviews, you know, so it's not the norm for me and maybe hundreds is too much, but at least tens. And um, so I just did really well and they gave me an offer and I turned it down. And I was like, I'm going to go work for Google. And then they called me back and uh, we talked about it. And so that's how I ended up at Apple <laughs> through, through wanting to work for Google. <laughs> so I guess what brings me to where I'm at now, which is um, the VP of engineering at Joy Labs. And uh, so I decided that I wanted to go back to school. I had lived 10 years of my life regretting not being able to go to school because I dropped out and, you know, ran a construction company. Like I had all these wild dreams of doing something that I found interesting. And then I found myself in the construction industry, which is a great industry, but not really for me at the time. And so I just thought to myself, you know, I want to keep going. Uh, I enrolled in a program, uh, an MBA program actually. And uh, I've been going to that and I met Isaac there, Isaac Saldana, who is, uh, at the time, uh, was a founder of the company SendGrid. And he recently has decided to found another company, Joy Labs, and he asked me to join. And I said, yes. And so it's been a great, awesome experience. We have some interesting things coming up, which maybe we'll talk about in a future podcast because we're so new, but uh, it's an exciting place to be. That, for the most part, is my trip here. Sure. And and what is uh, Joy Labs? So right now, I would say, I almost want to say, give me six months and then I'll answer that question. <laughs> but um, uh, Joy Labs, we have this hypothesis that um, software engineering is more complicated than it needs to be. And the way that we organize the work is largely uh, due in part to that. And so we believe that we can create a company which enables anybody to get into tech. 
So you'll notice I'm not focusing on a product or whatever, but we're, we're really focused on building a strong company right now. And we believe that we can organize work a little bit better so that we might be able to hire people who normally wouldn't be able or inclined to work in tech. So uh, right now, what we aim to be is a startup studio, which is different from an incubator in that we're more of a partner to the entrepreneurs who we partner with and less of like an investor. Right. So I'm, I'm sure that opens the room for 10 more questions. But <laughs> at that point right now, we are, we are really just focused on building a strong software team. And right now we have three companies that we are developing services and products for, all of which I don't think we've announced anything public for yet. Right. So is either Joy Labs or your closure team at Apple hiring for people at the moment? Uh, so I would say... Apple's probably always hiring closure developers. Uh, the team that I had uh, when I left, I think we just filled our last role. However, maybe if anyone's interested, they can ping you and I will route, you can route me to them and I will route them to the right person or I'll, I'll find a medium. But I, I think anyone who's doing contract or short-term work in the closure space should at least have a relationship with my old team because that changes all the time. Like one month we won't be hiring or doing contract work and the next month we will. So I, I think at this time, there's nothing open at the moment for my past team, but at Apple, there definitely are. Right. And if people are wanting to sort of stay on top of that, how would they know? That's a good question. So what I used to do is I'd always post in Slack, you know, jobs. And then also... Reach out to me if you want. I'm Etherfuse on Twitter, uh, and I can route you to the right person. I wish I had a more streamlined way of doing this, but I think it's going to be more a push system and not a pull system. Uh, I think we right. just because there's some uh, secrecy involved for good reason, but um, but there is. That's fine. Uh, and there's also a careers site on Apple.com as well. Absolutely, you can always look for that. Great. So I guess you're, are you still working on your MBA or have you finished that now? No, I'm still doing that. I graduate in uh, June and, uh, that's, uh, that'll be a good thing. Uh, you know, I, up until this point had been computer science focused. Uh, I got my master's from Urbana-Champaign in Illinois mm -hmm. and, uh, this is a new way of thinking, but I think it's really helped me kind of understand I don't, bad management is everywhere. And the default state of leadership, especially in software, is just like destructive. So it's really helped me to, at least from like a scientific approach, think about how the messages or the way, the vision or the plan that we have, how likely the team is going to be able to complete that or do it, or if, am I being clear, you know, my original statement. So yeah, I'm, I'm still doing it, but it's wrapping up here pretty soon. Nice. All right. Well, thanks so much for coming on to talk with me and yeah, look forward to seeing what you do at Joy Labs and if you can manage to squeeze any closure in there as well. Yeah. I, uh, have a new, um, brand or marketing, uh, strategy coming up with the company. So we'll see, uh, how that goes, <laughs> but, um, I think we have some UI stuff that I will recommend closure script for. So we'll see how that goes. And I, I imagine, you know, the, the benefits are so strong, but we'll get there at some point. So. Excellent. Well, thanks for coming on and yeah, I'll talk to you again soon. All right. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it.